We're out of music stands this morning, so I'm using this giant podium, behind which I feel rather small. Um, I just an apology to our children about the children's worship snafu. Where are Gideon and Everett? Yeah, I saw you guys run to the back, and I was thinking of the two of you because we want to talk about the helper this morning, and I know you talk about the helper in your house. Uh, but before we do that, um, maybe just a quick thanks to our readers for Acts 2. You, you, you may not have known all those languages that were being read, so in addition to English, you should know that we had reading Korean, Hindi, Malayalam, Tagalog, French, Latin, Arabic, Greek, German, Russian, Spanish, and Middle English. So thanks to our readers um, for expressing the diversity of God's people. I don't know if you know about Wolfgang Lotz or Eli Cohen. Maybe some of you do. So I'm going to tell you if you don't. They were Israeli spies in the 60s who were instrumental in the effective uh, Israeli conquest in the Six-Day War. This is not a sermon about war. This is not a sermon about politics. Uh, but I want you to think with me for a minute about what it meant that there were two men inside foreign regimes when the Israeli attack needed, was being planned. This is this very quick war that happened and um, was very successful on the Israeli front, and it happened because, it, it, against overwhelming odds, because Israel had men on the inside. Somebody on the inside to do what couldn't be done from the outside. Somebody who had infiltrated and incognito was at work. This is my hook to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit being inside of us in John. He will be in you, says Jesus. He says he has been with you, and he will be in you. You may have heard the in language in John earlier in this reading. We actually read this reading a couple weeks ago for uh, just the way our lectionary works. We got it again today. Believe me, Jesus says to Philip, that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. I'm in the Father. Elsewhere in John, he says, he prays, I in them, referring to his disciples, and you in me. This in language is central to what Jesus has to teach us in John's gospel about what it means to be his. And when he talks to his disciples as he's getting ready to leave them, to ascend to the Father, and he talks about the Holy Spirit, what he says to them about the Holy Spirit is that he will not just come to be with you or near you or by you, but he will, and he's not even just that he's for you, but he will be in you. It doesn't get much more personal than being in. Elsewhere in the gospel, there's a controversy between Jesus and the people listening to him about what he has meant when he says that they should eat his flesh and drink his blood. And what he doesn't do in that moment is say, oh, you've misunderstood. These are just spiritual terms. I'm talking about something other than that. He doubles down and he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He wants the flesh and blood of the Son of Man to come into us, into our bodies, that we might be in who we are, in all of us, in him and he in us. Paul says 
in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your the holy sorry, do you not know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit? Your body. Not just your mind, but what you walk around in. For in him, in one spirit, says Paul, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. You see, the image of baptism, going into the waters of baptism, submerging and having the water wash into you, drinking one spirit. This is the language of being in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, and it is not metaphorical. It is real. This is how salvation works. The Holy Spirit effectuates, I'm not sure if that's a word, but go with me. It makes real. It applies. It brings about the real experience of our union with Christ and therefore with the Father. And because Christ has put an end to sin and death on the cross and risen to new life in the empty tomb, that life that he has is our life. In fact, the union of the two natures of Christ, his human nature and divine nature, seems to be affected or brought about by the operation of the Holy Spirit. Listen to, do you remember these words that the angel Gabriel says to Mary when he comes to meet her in Luke 2? The child born to you will be from the Holy Spirit. And she says, how will this happen since I have not known a man? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. The answer to how Jesus is going to end up in Mary's womb is the, the power of the Holy Spirit at work. And it is that same uniting work that the Holy Spirit does with us and in Christ that brings us to God. Jesus says in John 3 to Nicodemus, except a person be born by water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So this Spirit that is poured out on Pentecost, this Holy Spirit that we're celebrating today, is the gateway to life with the Father. In the Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin, the Swiss reformer, says this. We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. As long as Christ is outside of us, what Jesus has done on the cross in an institute is a story. It may be a true story. It may be a story that has rampant implications for the world. But for you and I, it is Christ being within us that makes all the difference. And this means that the gospel gives for us a new vision of who we are and where we are. The truest thing about you, about the you that is really truly you if you are in Christ, is that it's not just you. It's always you in Christ. Christ in you, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, with you and in you. And as he is in you, he is the helper. This is the language that our translation gives for this word paraclete, which could be rendered counselor, comforter, advocate, someone who comes alongside. 
And when he comes alongside in the book of Acts that we read in Acts 2, he comes in great and miraculous power. There's this pouring forth the ability of the church to speak all of a sudden in multiple new languages, to communicate the mighty deeds of God. It is a miracle. You may not be in the practice of seeing miracles daily, but the church has not ever given up on the conviction that God is at work in powerful ways. And for us, the word often comes, oh, you of little faith, why do you not see God at work in our midst? I want to bear witness that he does still overcome incredible barriers. When I was in college, I had a friend named Justin. Justin and I were part of a small group in our church, and I didn't like him at all. I was really excited about this book we were reading in this group. I came to this church because somebody told me there was going to be this interesting study. I was pumped about it. And Justin was sitting in the group, and he complained about it the whole time. And I thought to myself when I first met him, I wish this guy would leave. I don't have any interest in being friends with him. And I was surprised that, however, the next couple years, uh, God actually worked a really cool friendship between the two of us. We remain very different people. We were very different people then. But something in the fellowship of the church, the bond that we share in Christ, made us friends. And when he and I were sitting at one point later on in our friendship, I learned things that I hadn't known about him, which is that he used to be a drug dealer and was himself very addicted to cocaine. And he told me the story about how he miraculously met Jesus and was, in his experience, delivered relatively immediately from his addiction. So God is still, by the power of the Holy Spirit, working substantial, powerful work. But what happens in Acts 2, this pouring out of the Spirit, isn't merely or mostly for a demonstration of uh, the ability for Jesus' disciples to do remarkable things. It is for them to bear witness to what God has done in Christ. You see in your reading that it is the mighty deeds of God that all the people hear that are spoken of in their own tongues. Paul, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, cautions them against excessive displays of exactly what we experienced this morning. Strange tongues that are hard to understand. He says, you ought to seek, it might be good for you, but it's, you ought to seek the greater gifts, the things that are for the building up of the church, those gifts which make intelligible the understanding of what God has done in Christ. And this points us to the regular operation of the Holy Spirit in our daily life, which is to make known to us the things of God in Christ. Listen to what Jesus says in, later in John 14, the same chapter we were reading from earlier. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of the things that I have said. What Jesus seems to be saying is that the function of the Holy Spirit is to help the church understand Christ's teachings and what they mean to lead out and make clearer what might have been unclear, but to recall the church to Christ. 
This means, I think, that in our experience of the Holy Spirit, there is something like what I want to call an anti-esotericism. It is not for us to wonder about whether the Holy Spirit has strange and new things to teach us. The thing that He has taught us is that Christ is the manifestation of the Father, and it is to Him that we should look if we would like to understand who God is. So there's a simplicity in our thinking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit blows where it wishes, Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3. But His function is to move us to Christ. Just as Philip wants to see the Father, and Jesus says, you don't have to look very far, Philip. The Father is in me. In the same way, if we want to know and experience God, the Spirit says, come, come and see Jesus. What does this look like for us? Paul tells us in Galatians, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Life in the Spirit is walking, which is a pretty everyday, boring sort of thing. You know how to walk. It's not all that exciting. Walking is one of those actions that we can do, our brains are able to do without even thinking about it, which is why you can go on a walk, and sometimes it's the place where your brain does other things. For me, that really helps. The Spirit is, Paul and Jesus are telling us, a daily quotidian reality. And in that daily reality, the major thing that the Holy Spirit does for us is to point us in our everyday experience to where Christ is present and how what we have been taught and heard and know about Christ is relevant for what's happening. Just a small example. Imagine a parent who has underslept. I know it's hard for some of you to imagine an underslept parent. Imagine an underslept parent um, who is feeling the pressure of life and is with their children and their children are taxing. None of your children are taxing, I know. But neither are mine, ever. But imagine that you're there and you're tired and you're with your child and you find yourself grumpy. And then in the midst of that grumpiness, you feel a twang of remorse because you see on your child's face what happens when they realize that you're not pleased with them. And you remember, for some reason, those words of Jesus, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Don't make it hard for them. There's a moment where you say, ah, patience. And you quietly pray for help again to push through the grumpiness and the fatigue and the difficulty of whatever it is. This is daily walking with the Spirit. He's showing us who is Jesus in this moment. The church has, uh, in its tradition, named a few ways that we experience the grace of God in the regular way, called the, the regular means of grace. Prayer, which I've just tried to describe, is one of those. The Word of God in the Scriptures, meditating and reflecting on the Word, is another. The sacrament, which we're about to receive in a minute. Christian fellowship, which we share together. The Holy Spirit is at work in all of these, in a regular, rhythmic way. But it requires us to tap into His presence, to be aware of His presence. You cannot walk unless you put one foot in front of the other. And although the Holy Spirit is ready to be present with us, like Jesus in that, book, in that passage from Revelation, he stands at the door and knocks. It is a matter 
of our awareness and being open to him. So as we close, I just want to invite you to reflect for a minute with me and then enter into a moment of prayer. Where in your life do you experience right now the most immediate and pressing difficulty? Reflect on this for a second. And now let's pray. Holy Spirit, show me how Jesus encountered this difficulty. Show me how Jesus is present with me and encounters this difficulty with me. Holy Spirit, help me to receive Jesus in his body and blood and in my walking with you and him and the Father. Amen.